marriage counseling. Uh, I'll have a uh, bright, chipper young couple, a groom and bride, and they are excited, very loving, very excited about their wedding day. And uh, and all they can think about is kind of each other and making sure that life starts well. And I I love when I get into the third or fourth session of marriage counseling, and I ask them a question that that they've never really thought through very well, and it causes them a little bit of concern. And here's, here's the question. Give to me your ideal Christmas situation. Give to me your ideal Christmas situation. And I I asked this of the guy first, because that's the best part, right? And he begins to to say what what, what he expects of the Christmas holiday. And what's funny is just watching the bride face just kind of maneuver in all sorts of different ways, listening to his idea of what Christmas looks like to him. It's way different than what she thinks should happen. Uh, he might say, well, we're going to do it at my, you know, my parents' house. And she's thought her whole entire life that we're going to do it at our house. I mean, she, he says, well, we open most of the gifts on Christmas Eve. And she says, oh, that's blasphemy. You know, why, why would you ever do that? I mean, so you can begin to see this friction because this is a conversation that they've never had before, specifically about where they are going to spend individual holidays, Thanksgiving, Easter, Christmas, all that they really haven't thought through. They've thought about spending them together, obviously, but they've never thought about where they're going to spend this. And I know this very well because me and Adrian went, or Adrian and I, there we go. Adrian and I went through this, uh, <laughs> getting my grammar right. Uh, Adrian and I went through this same thing ourselves, wondering where are we going to spend these very special holidays? Because she had an idea and I had an idea and we were, it was having some, we were having some friction in our first couple of years of marriage. And so I said, listen, honey, this is, what you're, this is what I want you to do. Go back in a room, get a piece of paper, fill out every holiday that you think we should spend with your family and every holiday you think that we should spend with my family. And so this is her list for her family. Uh, Christmas, Easter, Thanksgiving, Memorial Day, and Fourth of July. (laughs) This is my list. Arbor Day, Flag Day, Halloween, and Hanukkah. Uh, uh, Obviously, some friction there. Now, now if you know my wife, that is a completely fictional story. Um, No part of that is true. But what, what the point there is, is... I want to make sure that you understand, like, there's friction when we start blending families together. When you have one family of the groom, one family of the bride, and things begin to come together in holy matrimony. I don't even know why we call that, because it's not holy. Uh, so, like, uh, it, like, ho- like, it comes together, and there begins to be some friction. There's, be, here's the reason why. It's because there is an idea of what a family relationship should be, and then there's reality. There's an idea, which is usually perfection, right? We usually think through a family relationship or our families are going to blend together rather nicely, and it's going to be really nice. Then there's reality. And reality is, is that there's sin in the world and that we are all broken people. And when you mix broken people with other broken people, all you're going to get is double the amount of brokenness, right? And so really what we have is a healthy situation, which is the ideal, and then we have an unhealthy situation, which is actually reality. And so what I, wanna, what I really want to talk about this morning is, how do we deal with this in the church? Because we're all a bunch of broken people. We have an idea of what we think the church should be and how healthy it should be, but the problem is all of us are broken. And so when you mix all of us together, sometimes you're going to get a very unhealthy result. 
And so Paul is going to give to us uh, just a little tidbit about how we should work relationships within the church. So if you have a Bible, uh, we're going to turn to 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy is where we're going to be. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, I want to give you a Bible, and it's going to be at our Connect table on your way out. We'd love for you to have a copy of God's Word. Of course, a lot of us use our phones or iPads or whatever you can do that too, and turn to the book of 1 Timothy. It's about 85% of the way through your Bible. Uh, it is also going to be on the screen, and I believe Darren, is it going to be on? There we go. It's going to be on the Bible app. So if you've got a version app, my notes will be all there. We'd love for you uh, to, uh, to look on in that way. We just want you to have the Word of God in front of you somehow, some way. Because here's the deal. Timothy's context was very unhealthy. We have this guy, Timothy. He's a very young pastor in the city of Ephesus. We've been working through this book of 1 Timothy lately, and uh, we've been dealing with all of kind of the unhealthy things that have been going on within his his church. So Paul, who is kind of an elder statesman missionary, writing to Timothy, kind of teaching him and guiding him on what should happen, because he had a very unhealthy context. What he had, he had some older men that were older than Timothy, who were looking down onto Timothy, not giving him much respect, not following him as the pastor and as the leader. And so there's some significant unhealthy relationships there, which also led to younger leaders or younger men disrespecting older men because there was no mutual respect altogether. So not a whole lot of peace going on. We also see that there's some older women in the church who are trying to undermine the leadership, teaching some false things in the church that Timothy's having to correct. All the while, some younger women are not being respected, not being held in all purity. They are, they are, um, they're often younger women and some widows in the church who are not being protected as they should. And so Timothy is kind of dealing with this very unhealthy church situation or this unhealthy church dynamic. Now, here's what happens when you have an unhealthy uh, church dynamic. You begin to major on the minors and minor on the majors. What happens is the church, in a very unhealthy state, will begin to do things that don't matter or prioritize or focus on things that don't matter at all. And what they'll do with the, with, the, with the things that really do matter is they'll push them off to the side. They won't think about them very much. They won't pursue them very much. Now, there's two things that a healthy church does and keeps in perspective. There's two things that if a church is going to be healthy, it's going to constantly be thinking about these specific two things. If you're taking notes, the two things are the gospel and the mission. The gospel and the mission. If we are going to make sure that, those, uh, th- that, our, that our church is healthy, those two things will get focused on. And what happens is, is unhealthy churches marginalize the gospel and the mission and things begin to be broken. So bottom line today, if you're wondering what this sermon is all about, here it is. Healthy church families magnify the gospel and mission. Healthy church families magnify the gospel and mission. Can you say that with me? Healthy church families magnify the gospel and the mission, okay? And so, uh, bef- now before I walk, uh, walk into this, I want to speak to those of you who, you just walked into this place this morning, and you're just trying to feel this whole church thing out. Church isn't really your thing. Maybe even Christianity isn't even really your thing. Don't know a whole lot about Jesus. Don't really know about God very much. I want, I want to just speak to you for just a moment because wh- right there, I just said something that has a lot of churchy language in it. Healthy church magnifies gospel mission, right? And you're thinking, I don't even know if I want to be here this morning. I, you know, I don't even know if I want to be a part of a church. I'm not really sure about Jesus. 
believe me, I'm so glad that you're here and I want you to not check out. I want you to lean in. Here's why. Because you are the most objective person in this room. Because you're not in the church and so therefore you're outside of it and you can look at it and find out whether it's healthy or unhealthy. You can look at it and and decide. And decide, given some tools and given some perspective, you can say, hey, I think I've been given this gift of being able to see from the outside and what, hap- what happens is you can decide whether you're going to jump in or whether you're going to keep looking. So I want you to lean in because you have the gift of objectivity. All of us inside of the church kind of have to fix things or run things through from the inside. But you have a gift of looking at it from the outside. And what I want you to decide is, is this a healthy church? And if it is, do I want to jump into it? Do I want to discover more of it? Or do I want to keep looking? So don't check out on me, even though we're going to be talking about some decently churchy things. The first churchy thing I want you to to know is this. There's two things that the church should be focused on. If you've been to the Church of Cane Bay anytime, you know these things hopefully well, but we want you to memorize them. The first thing I want you to define for you is what the gospel is. Okay, what the gospel is. We talk about the gospel all the time at the Church of Cane Bay. It is simply this, that we believe that there is an almighty God And that almighty God created everything that we see and that we know. That he created this planet and this universe and he created you and me. And he started with a perfect relationship with mankind. And that perfect relationship uh, was beautiful and celebrated. Everything was perfect. There was no pain and there was no suffering in the world. The problem is, is that we as human beings made a choice, our great-great-grandparents made a choice to disobey God in the Garden of Eden, to disobey God and therefore fracture and break our relationship with him. And so no longer was this beautiful, celebrative uh, type relationship happening. There needed to be some kind of cure to that. There needed to be some kind of fix for that. The problem was, is that we were broken and he was completely holy. And so what happens is, is, is God says, I have to make a way. And so what he does is he sends his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to become a man just like us, but without sin. And what Jesus does is he substitutes himself for our sin. He takes our grossness and ugliness and puts it onto himself, and he dies for it on a cross. That's what we celebrate on Easter Sunday. But not only does he die for our sins, he rises three days later. We call that the resurrection, so that that we might live with him and have eternal life with him, and, and that we can have a hope that we can dream for a future. That's what the gospel is. Now, we as a church believe that we want to tell that story a million and a half times, or maybe how about seven billion, right? Because that we are given not only the gospel as a gift, but we are also given a mission. We believe that this gospel is for everybody. Jesus gave it to us in the Great Commission that you should reach all of your neighbors, all of your community, all of your nation, and all of the world. Of course, we are just a local church, a very local expression. There's tons of churches out there, right? And we want, we want to be a very local expression right here. We believe that God has gifted us a 10-mile radius for people to be responsible for so that we could, and there's about 70,000 people, and it's growing every single day within that circle so that people would have multiple opportunities to hear, see, and respond to the gospel. So that everything we do here is an effort to preach and teach the gospel to make disciples, that's another churchy word, right? To make disciples 
which means followers of Jesus of every single person inside of that circle. Now, if, if we lose sight of the gospel and if we lose sight of the mission, which go hand in hand, and we begin to focus on stupid things, churches do this all the time, the color of the carpet, specific ministry that doesn't really matter, people's drama, also, if we begin to focus in on those things and forget the gospel and the mission, we become a very unhealthy church. And so what we, want, we, what we want to do is focus on the gospel and the mission so that we can be a very healthy family. Now, I talked to you for a second ago, a second ago about the fact that, there's, uh, that there's, we're blending all these families together. So when we come together as a church, you're, blend, you're blending my family with your family. Sometimes there's friction between your family and another family. You might have, you, you might have a, a family in this neighborhood that you really don't even like very much. Maybe, maybe well, your neighbor has started to come to this church and you're like, wow, I really wish that that guy would just mow his lawn more often. Or something, you know, something like that. And there's, you know, of course, there's always going to be some kind, of, some kind of friction because we're all broken. So the question is, how can, how can we be a healthy church family that magnifies the gospel? And Paul's going to give to us just a very simple course on what it means to have good relationships in the first two, cha- the first two verses of 1 Timothy uh, chapter 5. Okay? Is everybody there at 1 Timothy chapter 5? You guys there? Say I'm there if you're there. Yeah. Sweet. Awesome. All right. 1 Timothy chapter 5, 1 and 2. It says this. Do not rebuke an older man harshly, but exhort him as if he were your father. Treat younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters with absolute purity. All right. Those are our two verses for today. We're not going to get very far in First Timothy, all right? Uh, we're we're going to keep on going, but those are, our first, those are our two verses. And they're very important because they just talk about relationships within the church and how we should treat one another. Now, on the surface, there are some very basic relational things that I want to talk about today. But then there's also some deeper meaning for the entire church. So we got surface stuff that I want to talk about, and we got some deeper stuff that I want to talk about. So if you're taking notes, what I'm going to talk about first with, every, with, with four different relationships, I'm going to talk about those surface level deals, but then I also want to just dive in a little bit deeper with every single one of them to what it means for the church specifically so that we can be healthy. Okay, number one, on the surface, Paul talks about the fact that we should encourage or exhort older men, that we should encourage or exhort older men. Now, here's the deal. I do think that it means older men, right? That we should respect our elders, right? But I also think that it means mature Christian men. So don't just think, you know, people that are white and gray. Think mature in their faith, people who have been believers for quite a while. So it's very possible that they're not old, that they're, you know, not, not old at all, but they're mature in their faith, okay? So when he says older men, that's what I want you to think through. So when we encourage older men or mature Christian men, we ask questions. We lean into their experience, They've got a lot of wisdom to give that we need to listen to. And odds are, the questions that you have, they have answers. Because they've probably done some of these things before. And they know where the landmines are in life for us to kind of avoid, right? Now, when I uh, teach my son, I'm glad that he's in here. I think he's in here. Yeah, he's right over there. Cool. Uh, When I teach my son how to play baseball, he loves baseball. He really wants to know how to hit really well and 
uh, throw really well. Uh, and, and mechanics are pretty important in baseball, where you put your feet, where you put your hands, how your arms go, all that stuff. I spent a long time playing baseball when I was in high school. And so I know a little bit about it. I'm not, no, I'm not no college athlete, but I do know how to throw a ball decently well. And so when I'm teaching my son how to throw a ball, there's, certainly, there's certain mechanics. You've got to step right. You've got to throw your shoulders in the right direction. You've got to keep your eyes on the ball. All You've got to keep up the right hand position. There's all sorts of things on how to throw a baseball. Here's what I know about teaching Haddon is that when he listens to me, when he listens to advice and he does what I ask him to do, things go well and the ball goes in the right direction. When he decides to do things on his own and doesn't listen to the instruction of an older, more mature man that knows what he's doing, things begin to go awry. I think the same is true in life. When we begin to talk and and think through and ask questions of more mature people in our life, things will go better. A healthy church will often listen to their mature men. Now, on a much deeper level, what this teaches us is to be faithful followers. If we are going to listen to mature men inside of our church, it teaches us how to be a faithful follower of Jesus. Think about this for a second. If you are an outsider looking in to our church, and you looked at a bunch of people who were unwilling to listen to the wisest amongst them, Why would you want to follow them? Why would you want to be a part of that group? This is a group of people, a church who claims to to be brothers and sisters inside of a home called the church, right? And they claim to be submissive to a heavenly father, but yet they can't be submissive to more mature and older and wiser men in their church. Why would you want to join that? That doesn't make any sense. And so from the outsider looking in, it teaches us some submission, some biblical, godly submission if we can listen to older, wiser men inside of our church who are giving out or dishing out some, some wisdom that we need to be listening to, okay? Secondly, he talks about younger men. So on a surface level, it means that we should respect younger men. We need to respect younger men, and this means lesser lesser mature Christians, people who may, guys who may have come to Christ kind of decently recently, and they're trying to think through how, what is their place? What is their gifting? How should they serve? The church should be a place for opportunity, an opportunity for them to lead, opportunities for them to fail with some grace, okay? I know in my own life, I have this guy, his name is Jeff. He doesn't go to church here. Uh, but he's just a very, very godly man. Uh, and I meet with him on a prob- uh, about two or three times a month. Uh, he's, just an, he's, he's about 20 years older than me, and just he loves Jesus, has been a believer longer than I've been alive, and he just has a lot of wisdom. And so he's an older man that I love and I exhort and I encourage. But here's what he does for me. He respects me as a younger leader, and he allows me opportunity uh, for failure, and when I fail and I tell him about my failures, he, he's very just loving and merciful and good. He points things out that, might not, that I might not see. For me, he critiques me in certain ways and he points things out for me that other people are not bold enough to do for me. And he just allows me to fail. He allows me to fail with grace. And so I think the church should be a place uh, not only that encourages, uh, that, that um, respects younger men, but also encourages leadership, okay? So on a much deeper level, we're respecting these young men, but we're also encouraging new and developing leaders. We don't need to hold people back because they haven't been Christians long enough, okay? 
We need to make sure that we give them opportunities, and we're going we're gonna to know that they're messy. We're going to know that they have flaws. We're going to know that they do things wrong. But we're going to be an opportunity as a church to give a lot of grace to that situation, okay? One of the, uh, one of the people that I love in our church, and he's in this room, and I don't want to embarrass him, but this is, this is a guy who's mature in his faith. He's certainly not the oldest person in the room, but uh, he's just a mature Christian man who has been very patient with us for several years as a church. And, and, and Mark Milos, I don't know where you are, but you're in this room somewhere. And what I love about Mark is that he, he takes younger men and disciples them. He loves on them. He works hard for, for our church. And then sometimes, like, we as younger pastors, like, we're all in our 30s, right? And so, like, we make mistakes all the time. We're trying to figure out this whole church thing, too. And, and what I love about Mark is that there's, there's been several times I've, where he'll pull us aside and say, hey, can we talk through some of these things? Giving us a lot of grace, pointing out some failures that we've been having. And then he comes along and says, hey, how can I be a part of the solution? That's a godly, experienced, mature Christian man giving opportunity to encourage new leadership. And I love that. And we need more folks like that. So if you, if you are kind of consider yourself one of these kind of mature Christian men, my hope is, is that you will give opportunity for younger leaders at any given time, okay? Uh, so number three, we're gonna, we're, number three, we're gonna talk about women now. So uh, he says that we should listen or treat older women as mothers, which I think what this means is on a very surface level, it means that we should listen to older, more mature Christian women in our church. We should listen to them. They've got a lot of wisdom. They're very perceptive. They're often very kind, and they're often very merciful. I know in my own life, my mom had the power to speak truth into me like no other. I mean, because she loved me at a level that is very difficult for me to comprehend. And then when I messed up, she was able to speak into my life like nobody else. And so there's women inside of this church, mature Christian women that love the Lord, and they've got a lot of wisdom to give. And my hope as a church is that we would be very wise listeners. And here's the platform for these women, uh, because it outlines it, I think, in Proverbs 31. It'll be up on the screen. This is the uh, kind of identity of these women. It says, she is clothed with strength and dignity. She can laugh at the days to come. She speaks with wisdom, and faithful instruction is on her tongue. She watches over the affairs of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children arise and call her blessed, her, her husband also, and he praises her. Many women do noble things, but you surpass them all. These are mature believers who love the Lord and have a lot of wisdom to give. Here's what I've noticed about older women who are, who are mature in their faith. They are not offensive, nor are they very offendable. And here's what I mean by that. We live in a world right now in our culture that is the most offensive, vulgar culture that you could imagine. We say some things, especially on Facebook, they're terrible. That are just awful. They're incredibly offensive. At the same time, we are the most offendable. I think I'm making up a word, but we are the most offendable. Everybody is a victim. Everybody's got their thing that they are offended by. That they're so easily offended by somebody. Even when somebody is trying to celebrate something that is good, people can be offended by that. It's amazing to me. Because somehow it's popular to be a victim. I don't know why that is. But we find some reason for somebody to offend us and we, and we get all upset. What I've noticed about older, mature Christian women is that they are, ne- they are neither offensive to people. They, do, they speak with wisdom and this, uh, this gravity of mercy. 
but they're also not offended by much. They don't, they, they, they're very kind of, um, they're, they're, they feel good in their own skin. And I think that's, that's the kind of women that we want to produce as a church and look to uh, as, as a church um, because these people rarely play the victim and they rarely make victims. And so as on a much deeper level, our church needs to be a bunch of wise listeners. We need to be quiet and ask questions. Go into a conversation and speak less than what you do, with, especially with somebody who's older and wiser than you. Um, we, need to, we need to be a church, and here's, here's where, it's, where it really comes down in, in some of our relationships. We need to be a people that says, I need some help. I need you to speak into my life and critique my actions. That's a very vulnerable place. Wouldn't it be, a, be pretty vulnerable if you just looked at somebody that you knew was wiser than you and just gave them open, just open reign to speak into your life some of the hardest truths? Do you have somebody in your life that you can look at and say, where am I failing? Where am I failing? What is one thing in my life that I need to change, that I need to rely on God to change in my life? Have you ever asked somebody that? You ever allowed somebody to speak those kind of truths into your life? My hope is, is that we would be wise listeners as a church, that we would not be afraid of those vulnerabilities, that we would have people in our life that speak into that. Fourth and final thing that Paul talks about. He says that we need to protect younger women. We need to protect younger women. And then uh, in the verses following that we'll take, take a look at in the next couple weeks, uh, he talks about widows and how the church is to minister to widows. And so we kind of uh, put those together, that the church should be a place that protects the purity of younger women. You see, in Timothy's context, when Paul was writing to Timothy, women were not highly respected. They weren't, uh, they weren't given opportunity for education. Uh, they were often seen as objects in that culture, uh, objects for, for men to do whatever they wished to do with them. And so they were not seen as beautiful creations of God. And so when Timothy says that you need to protect and provide, uh, provide protection over, uh, over younger women of the faith, then uh, that's, that was pretty countercultural, that we should focus on these folks. That, that they should be part of our everyday living, that we should look after their purity. So Paul instructs them to say, I want you to protect them like you would a sister. So what we should do as a church is celebrate the beauty that is younger women and give them an opportunity to live their life you know, and protect it, that the church should be a place that is a shelter for folks. And so on a much deeper level for everyone, the church should be a place of very strong refuge. That the outside world looks at our church not as a place where you can be hurt, but as a place where you can help the hurting, right? And so there's, there's a place, I want our church to be known as, hey, if you're vulnerable, if you're struggling, if you've got some problems in your life, I really want to be a place that accepts you and loves you and takes broken people and loves them really well. And that people see our church as a place to go when they're struggling. For a place where we can be very vulnerable. Because that gospel that I spoke of earlier really takes broken people and, and puts them all together inside of a church. And, and, and they're still unhealthy this side of heaven. But my hope is that we would be, a, 
like if we were to be a healthy church, we would be filled with unhealthy people who are accepting of broken people so that we can point them to the solution of Jesus. That's what we want to be. And that's what a, that's what a healthy church looks right, look like if we can get all of these relationships right and if we can magnify the gospel and the mission. Now here's, all of these relationships will happen we will encourage older men. We will encourage younger men. We will listen to, to wise women. We will protect younger women of the faith. We will do all that if we focus on the gospel and the mission. If we begin to figure, if we begin to look at ourselves and serve ourselves, those people get pushed to the margins. We are no longer a safe place for people that need to be vulnerable. We are no longer a place for young leaders. So it's all about those relationships. So here's what I want to ask you. Where are you in these, four, in these four points? Where are you on this scale? Are you an older, more mature Christian man? Are you a younger, less mature Christian man? Are you an older, more mature Christian woman? Or are you a younger, less mature Christian woman? Where are you in this scale? Think about that for a second. Where would you place yourself? Now, I only ask that to tell you this. It's kind of a trick question. It's a trick question because I don't believe that any of us in this room have arrived. I don't believe that any of us, I can point to any one person in this room and say, yes, that person is mature, that person has made it, that person is totally godly, and there is nowhere they can go from here, right? That person doesn't exist, right? And also, I don't think there's anybody in this room that doesn't have something to give to somebody else. You are part right now because you have heard the gospel this morning. You are a, a privileged few that two billion people in our world have never heard. So even if you walked out of here not believing the gospel, you have something to give to somebody else. You can tell them, at least I know who Jesus is. So the, so the bottom is very low, and the, I mean, the top is very high. Like, so I, what I believe is that we are all in the middle. We are all in the middle. I don't think that any of us have arrived, and neither do I think that none of us have anything to give. I think that we are all middle men and middle women. And here's what that means for you. I want you to think about how this week you can have one hand up and one hand down. Here's what I mean by one hand up and one hand down. I want you to have relationships with an older Christian man or woman so that you can have a hand up, so that somebody can be encouraging you, somebody can be loving you, somebody can be speaking love into your life, somebody can be giving you opportunity to grow, that you can be grasping that older person and saying, I need help, I need somebody who's going to lift me up. I need somebody who's going to be concerned for me and my growth. So one hand up. But I also think that we need to have a hand down. Somebody who's less mature than, than we are. Somebody that we can tell the gospel to. Somebody that all, no matter how much we know about God, we can be giving that information and that knowledge to them. Because I believe that we're all in the middle. So what I want you to do, just and this is the only thing I want you to do this morning, is think through who is that person that is wiser, more mature than me, that I can hold on to, that's going to help me up? And who is the person that needs me that I can help up? 
Okay, and that might, moms and dads, that might be your children. That might be your children down here that need you to be teaching them about the gospel, right? It probably is some other friend or somebody like that that knows, that knows the gospel in a deeper way than you do. For me, I mean, this, obviously I've told you about my friend Jeff, who he lifts me up. The elders in this church lift me up. They spur me on towards righteousness. And I work with, I've worked with guys all over the place, I still do, that my hope is, is that I can help them up as well. And so my hope for you today, maybe you need to write it down or just think about it, is who's, who's, in, who's up and who's down and who are you in the middle of? Now, the perfect environment for this is called a huddle. Uh, we've talked about, we've, what, part, of, part of our church, we have a worship service, and then we want to push people into our missional communities. And from there, we want to push people into a huddle. Now, you might have heard that language around, maybe today's your first day, and that's okay. What a huddle is, is it's two or three people meeting anytime, anywhere, with anyone, and reading the Bible together, being vulnerable together, and living life together, and asking each other intentional questions to make sure that you're growing in Christ. Who's in a just who's in a huddle? Like wow, that's awesome. Okay, sweet. These are folks who are walking with Jesus together. And so, if you're, let me say this: if you are, uh, if you're in a huddle, keep going, especially through the summer because we don't have missional communities for about ten weeks. Okay, so I want you to keep going, keep that relationship kindled. Don't. Uh, I know that you got to go on vacation, all that stuff, but make sure that you make time for that special huddle time that you can be with. Uh, be with the folks that are going to lift you up and that you're going to bring up, right? So keep going. Secondly, if you, if, you're, if you had a huddle and it really, it's probably been weeks or maybe even months before, uh, since you've met lately, my hope is that this week is that you'll text somebody or, uh, or call somebody or something like that and say, hey, uh, I really was challenged by Charlie this week. We need to get this huddle back on, okay? So can we schedule that this week? That would be my hope. If you've never been a huddle, never been in a huddle, you don't even know what that means. You need to know a little bit more information about what that means. Uh, we, I want to inform you. Uh, so I'll, I'll be in, I'll be in the back, back there. Uh, we'll be, we'll have some uh, leaders back there that would love to help you explain. We also have this thing called a huddle guide. It's like three or four pages that Joel has developed and it explains what a huddle is. And we'd love to help you connect with somebody that is going to mutually encourage you, maybe possibly lift you up, or maybe somebody that you can bring up with you. Okay, so that's what I want you to think through. Who are, who's up, who's down, and who can you huddle with this week so that you can grow in relationship together, mutually encourage one another, and that we can be a healthy church that magnifies the gospel and the mission. All right, let's pray together. Father, you're good. Uh, you're always good. Um, you're always strong. You always are willing to help us to grow. You're moving in this church uh, to, in ways that maybe I don't even understand, but I'm thankful for. And God, I, I do pray that we would be a healthy church that focuses in on the gospel, that focuses in on the mission. Father, I pray that maybe this is just a practical word for folks, um, that they might be able to kind of see where they, need, where, where they need help from somebody who might be more, more mature than they are, that they need to sit and listen. Or maybe it's they need to speak into somebody else's life. It might be that they need to help somebody else up. God, I pray that you'd give them boldness and intentionality this week to have a meeting, talk through scripture, pray together. Father, I pray that you would just spur them on. 
God, I, um, I, just, I just ask for the person in the room that I mentioned that um, doesn't know you, doesn't know about this church thing, doesn't know about this Jesus thing. God, I pray that they would have been maybe encouraged just to jump in, take another step forward. Just move a little bit closer into this whole idea of what it means to have a relationship with Jesus. God, I pray that you would encourage them as well and maybe even give them an opportunity to say, hey, I need to talk with somebody about what it might be to have a relationship with Jesus. But God, thank you for the worship that we've been able to experience today. Uh, Thank you that you've been present with us. God, I pray that we would be a healthy church that focuses on the greatest story that has ever been told, the story of Jesus coming to rescue us. And I pray that we would be bold in order to tell the world that story millions upon billions of times so that the world would know that you are our Savior, that you do good always. God, thank you for being good to us. Amen. proclaiming and lifting up the name of Jesus. So we're just going to sing that over and over and over again, his name. We're just going to lift it up.